Hey creepy crawlers, I'm Katie, and this is Case of the Creeps. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Case of the Creeps podcast. I'm Katie. Welcome, creepy peeps. Hello to all the new crawlers, if you're just joining me. And what up to all the currents. Hope life has been treating you guys all somewhat respectfully. Had a couple things I wanted to get into before diving into our topic of the night. First and foremost, I really just wanted to again thank each and every one of you for giving me a chance to grace your ear holes with this podcast. It is unbelievable how many people are finding me so quickly. I, it's hard for me to wrap my head around sometimes. It's literally every single morning I'm waking up and there are more and more views on every single episode. There are more people who have subscribed and followed. It's just crazy to me and I'm just extremely grateful for this opportunity. I have a lot of new things that are coming to my mind that I've all written down in my handy dandy purple book, which is like my lifeline to this podcast. And I, oh man, I am so excited because of how my brain works. I have stuff planned and ideas like for way in the future, but I'm manifesting that it's going to happen because of you amazing creepy crawlers out there who have just legit come out of the woodwork to support this podcast. So it's going to come full circle for you guys because I really just, I can't thank you enough. It's just so amazing. I also have some awesome news that I am technically live now on 12 platforms. Hell yeah. I'm only going to do this probably once because good God, it's a lot, but I just want to put out there where you can find the podcast and then I will post it on all social media and pin it so that you guys always know where you can find me. I am officially live on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Radio Public, Overcast, Amazon, CastBox, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Pocket Cast, and I'm under review with Pandora currently, but hopefully I'm going to be approved here soon. Their system is weird. I, I'm not even going to go into it, but Pandora, shout out. Come hook your girl up so I can get more people to listen. And I have finally narrowed it down, guys. So here it is, the official plug that you will be hearing a lot probably going to get a little annoying. Sorry, not sorry. Please hit that subscribe button, leave a review, share where you're listening, all of the things so that we can find all the creepy crawlers out there and bring them to our mothership that is Case of the Creeps. Don't forget to also follow me on Instagram at Case of the Creeps Podcast and email all of my, or all of your, not mine, but all of your topic suggestions like serial killers, paranormal stories, stories of your own, theories of your own, or requests, any other creepy killer, killer creepy things that you would like to hear covered, please email me or DM me. My email is caseofthecreeps at gmail.com. Now, my last little bit of business that I have is just a mini announcement, kind of, little woohoo. 
I have made a Facebook group. I have been diligently working on Facebook, trying to get it together. So I now have not just only a Facebook group, but a Facebook page too. Another hell yeah air five to us guys. So make sure you go on Facebook, search for Case of the Creeps podcast, find that familiar uh, cover art, and wha-pow, hit that join button. If you're joining my podcast group, please, please, please be sure to read the rules that I have in place. They are there for a reason and are also your main ticket on how you get into the group because I've hidden a password within the rules. So you have to read them to find my password. But I really hope you guys give it a chance and come over there. I created that group so that everyone who listens has a place to gather, because I'm pretty sure everyone out there has a somewhat of a Facebook or social media something at least. And if not, you have the snail mail. So I'm covering all the bases for you guys. But anyways, this group I made so that we can all gather, discuss things on the podcast, true crime stories that are going on in the current or in the past. This is another place that I want to have be included on any merch drops that I have in the future. Hint, hint. Patreon things. Mega, ultra, big, hint, hint. Uh, This is also another place that you can leave topic requests or theories on cases of your own or ghost stories. Funny memes. I want reviews on the podcast. Corrections that you think need to be made that you heard on the podcast guys literally everything this is where you can do it the facebook page is also there too that's where a lot of announcements will be made for future episodes mini episodes stuff like that it's a little bit more on the businessy side but the group that's where i want all the action (laughs) to be going on so this is also you guys are of course welcome to share and invite others Please get all of the like-minded creeps to come. Let them know that they're not going to be judged. Make sure that you guys do join us there. Lord only knows what kind of weird, creepy stuff is going to come lurking out of the shadows over there. Now, even though I did just make that group, I also do want to apologize on that same note. Because I've been a little quiet on social media as of recent. We have a small zoo. (laughs) We have snakes and a bearded dragon, two dogs, a cat, and a six-year-old. So we've got the whole shoot match. But our oldest dog, Riley, she has had a very long saga with this tumor on her foot. And she is now part of the experimental journey with this new drug that is literally eating the tumor from the inside out. And oh my God, it is gross. This thing looks straight out of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, I can't put any bandages on it. It has to open air heal. So it's just meaty, gross crap just hanging out of her foot. It's freaking wild. But that's why I've been a little quiet. I've kind of been dealing with that. It's been a whole freaking mess. But all right, all right. It's been seven minutes of pure business. I'm done. Let's get into our topic of the night, which after doing a poll on both Facebook and Instagram was unanimous. I asked you guys if you wanted our first serial killer case or our first cryptid case, and you guys did not disappoint. There was literally not one single vote for a serial killer. Every single person 
wanted a cryptid case. And there was probably, I think there was around like 20 votes overall. It was around there. Yeah. And I did it for 24 hours. So y'all were serious. So without any further ado, I give you our very first cryptid case, the Wendigo. I'm sure I have a couple people screaming right now. Katie, what the hell is a cryptid? Which I actually thought more people would know what that meant. But after using the word a few times around people recently, I realized, yeah, not so much. And I mean, no offense. It's just a lot of people hear it differently. So I would have, a, I literally, I would have a lot of people looking at me like I had six heads when I would say something like, oh yeah, I'm doing research on cryptids now, or this cryptid is so unheard of, it's crazy. And then I would just get a blank stare in return. So I would have to follow up with like, you know, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, the Skinwalker, the Wendigo, the Jersey Devil, you know, all those. And then you would, you would see that light bulb click and they'd be like, oh, you mean urban legends? Yes. Yes, that is exactly what I mean. Urban legends is just another term for cryptid. I think cryptid would be technically the more fancier of the terms, but they hold hand in hand. They are one and the same. So if you are unfamiliar with what a cryptid or an urban legend is, which I don't think there is one single person out there that doesn't, but just for safe measures, a cryptid or urban legend is an animal or being that has been claimed to exist, but has never been proven. And the one that we are going to cover tonight, like I said before, is the infamous fucking scary crazy cryptid, the Wendigo. Now the legend of the Wendigo starts way back in time, actually originating back, oh my god, I forgot. So I did this research a couple days, so this is all kind of like fresh stuff that I'm reading to you guys. I forgot there are words in here that are hard to say. So I am sorry in advance. I might murder these. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, uh, actually originating back to the Algonquin, uh, Algonquin, Algonquin. Yes. Yes. Algonquin Native American tribe long before the Europeans came and crashed the party. The Algonquins were a family of North American indigenous tribes with languages that are formally spoke, spoken across a vast area from the Great Lake regions to the central regions of Canada. This includes our main tribe of focus tonight, which is oh, another word. The Ojibwe, 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 Ojibwe. But it's more commonly known as the Chippewa, and that's what I'm saying because... I can't say that. Now, the, these tribes were found mostly in parts of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Mich and Michigan back then. And conveniently, this was also where most of our Wendigo sightings were said to be. And now, sightings are said to still be in the northern parts of the woods. And you can still see them in some parts of Canada, too. So make sure you guys are hiding your maple syrup up there because you are not out of the woods just yet. Now, if you guys are unfamiliar with the term Wendigo, it also goes by a few others. The Windigo, Wittigo, Wittigo, or my personal favorite, the Wheatigo. <laughs> Wheatigo! <laughs> 
Now, while, while all of these may have different pronunciations, they all do roughly translate back to this. The evil spirit that devours mankind. Oh, good. I feel really great for laughing at that. Excuse me while I sage my house really quick. Oh, my God. But if that wasn't enough, it's said that these beasts are viewed as malevolent, cannibalistic, supernatural beings with great spiritual power and associated with the winter, the north, coldness, and a good old topper of starvation and famine. You know, I wonder actually if this is kind of the inspiration of the White Walkers that came uh, for maybe Game of Thrones, which, ooh, I actually just restarted that. And oh my God, I forgot the absolute amazingness of that show. I have to, with me, I have to have background noise constantly. So I have to find stuff that I've already watched while I do my research so that I don't get sucked in. So I've been jumping from Game of Thrones and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is a cinematic masterpiece and I will die on that hill. My mom and I used to watch it every single night when she got home. It was our shit. But anyways, back to our real life White Walker. Considering that the Algonquin, oh, wapow, I got it. Ooh, I think wapow might have to hang around. I like, I'm digging that. But considering that the Algonquin was a blanket of different tribes, there were a few different depictions of the Wendigo, but they all had the same common attributes too. So the major description of it was the following, and I quote from a legit Chippewa professor, quote, the Wendigo is seen to be as tall as a tree with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss with a stench of death and decay. Gaunt to the point of emaciation, emaciation, the Wendigo's desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones, the complexion an ash gray with eyes pushed deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a haggard skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. Those are chills down my back. Ooh, bonus. The Algonquin legend describes it as a creature with a giant heart made of ice. Ooh, that's another White Walker reference right there. It was sometimes thought to be made entirely of ice. A defrosted skeletal monster with missing lips and, and toes and, to and toes. Okay. You had me once with the lips, but to add in no toes. So we've got a lipless, nubby-footed skeleton leather skin monster. Nah. What? I'm wondering why I picked this one first all of a sudden. I think I should really sage my house because I don't want to be trolled by this thing at all. <laughs> but anyway, so now that I've Bob Ross beautifully painted that image of a hybrid White Walker, ice leather skin skeleton nubby footed thing, how do we get one of these gems? Where do they come from? What's the nubby footed leather skin recipe? Well, I'll tell you. Start with a human. Add a dash of possible stranding in the woods with a sprinkle of no food and top it with cannibalism and wha-pow, Wendigo stew. According to the legends, a Wendigo was created when a human resorts to cannibalism to survive. 
In the past, this occurred more often when Indians and settlers found themselves fucked and stranded in the bitter winter snows and ice common for the northern woods. If you were stranded in the woods for days, for example, you might look down and start to think that blue finger of yours is looking more and more like those blue icy pops we used to all fight over in those rainbow packs and take a little nibble. The spirit of the Wendigo would then consume and imprison you in your own body, cursed for the decision through dark magic. This is some... I'm getting... Oh, I just got the image of Harry Potter and Prisoner of Azkaban when Prisoner, Professor Lupin was a werewolf. I'm getting that image right now. But that also might be more of a skinwalker, too. I don't know. That was one fucked-up-looking werewolf. That's for sure. But anyways, I digress. So you get cursed. Now you're this giant, scary, fucking predator in the woods. You gotta have some fucked-up skills to go with it, too, right? Well, you would be correct. Those would be included super stealth, perfect amplified super hunter hearing, the born knowledge of your territory, fire steps. No, no, no. Let me say that again. Fire steps. Meaning you leave fire behind in your steps. Nubby-toed fire feet. Oh, oh, and you control the weather. No big deal. What the hell? So you can create fire with your footsteps and you can make it rain at the same time. Okay. All right. So those are all cool and all. I mean, you get those. Those are some great little skills. Sure. But oh, you also are cursed to prey on human flesh and can never satisfy your hunger. So you just aimlessly kill and eat innocent people, and it's never enough. And then when there's nothing left for you to feast on, you die. That's it. Your quality of life is just hunt, kill, eat, repeat. All because your finger looked like a yummy icy pop. Sorry in advance if anyone is eating one of those bad boys while listening. They're so good. But I don't want to leave that <laughs> that picture for you guys either. But wait... I have more for you, because if you thought all you had to do to avoid turning into a Wendigo was just cannibalism, in the famous words of Jim Carrey, wrongo! Another version of this sick legend that I found was that humans who displayed extreme greed and gluttony might also lead to the possession of the Wendigo. So, all in all, take away that you must be on your best behavior, be grateful for what you have, and don't eat other people. Yeah? Okay, I think I I think I can get behind those rules. <laughs> but so now we have the Wendigo and how it's created, your super cool nubby toad fired skills that you got there. But how does a Wendigo hunt? I mean, I'm just saying, if you're a giant mortifying beast, I'm pretty sure people would just try and avoid and stay away from you and your territory altogether. Well, even though the big W's have all these skills, this isn't the main trait that they use to hunt. Rather, one of his most terrifying traits is his ability to mimic human voices. He uses this skill to lure people and draw them away from civilization once they're isolated in their territory in the desolate depths of the wilderness, he attacks them and feasts. 
But I do want to clarify as well that Wendigos are different than skinwalkers. While they do have this voice mimicking trait, skinwalkers mimic animals while the Wendigo mimics people. So that's a whole nother realm that we will be diving into and a delicious next episode of, of just great horror for you guys that I'll do on the skinwalker. Cause God, those things are scary too. <laughs> Why do cryptids have to be scary? It's, it's almost, it reminds me so much of like nursery rhymes. Like they seem so subtle, but they're not. And then you have cryptids, which they're not subtle, but they're just these mythical legends of ours that are god-awful scary. And they all are to do with the woods. Everything is in the woods. If that, I, I feel like a lot of things were just made to keep kids out of the woods. I'm, I really do. But anyways, again, I have all this deliciousness for you guys. But this is all just the mythical side. So what if I told you that... There was also a tiny science side to this legend as well. In the early 20th century, psychiatrists came to the land and they took the legend's name and created Wendigo psychosis. Some psychiatrists considered it a syndrome that creates an intense craving for human flesh and a fear of becoming a cannibal. Ironically, the psychosis occurs within people living around the Great Lakes of Canada and the United States. Hmm... Wendigo psychosis usually develops in the winter in individuals who are isolated by heavy snow for long periods of time. The initial symptoms are poor appetite, well duh, they're starving, nausea, and vomiting. Subsequently, the individual develops a delusion of being transformed into a Wendigo monster. People who have Wendigo psychosis increasingly see others as being edible. So when I read that, I feel like it's just a regurgitation of the legend itself. Like it's just, 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 they took Wendigo and they added psychosis to it almost in a way to maybe concrete it so that it was just a little bit more believable for those around them. I, I don't know. Again, it's a fancier version. It Americanized it in a way. But it's, it is, it's the legit verbation from the Algonquin origin. So while doing my research, I also found out that there were some famous accounts of the Wendigo in actual action, but none were as famous as the legend of the Swift Runner. No, 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 no. His name was Swift Runner, not the Swift Runner. He was Swift Runner, which is such a cool name. I kind of wish I knew what my Indian name would be, but I also have a feeling it would be something super duper cheesy, like Mass Hugger or something, because I like hugs and shit. <laughs> but again, I digress. Swift was a Plains Cree tribe member, and he was a hella good trapper in 1878. He unfortunately suffered one of the worst cases of Wendigo possession on record. He traded with the Hudson Bay Company, was married and had six children, but it was a really brutal winter during 1878 through 1879, and the Swift family was starving along with numerous other Cree tribe families as well. Unfortunately, during this winter, Swift lost his eldest son due to the starvation, and soon after that, Swift crumbled and succumbed to the Wendigo spirit. 
He then killed the remaining members of his family and then feasted on all of them. Even though there was literally a fucking Hudson Bay Company post not but 25 miles away. He could have gotten food from there. And his name was Swift Runner. So why didn't you swiftly run to the post to get food for your family? Instead of just saying, nope, when to go, come get me. I can't do it. But it wasn't until he was done consuming his family that he was consumed with guilt and confessed. He was then executed at Fort, oh no, Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan, Fort Saskatchewan. If you guys are interested in learning some more about the Wendigo tales, you can head over to legendsofamerica.com and search for Wendigo. This is where I got a lot of my research about the Wendigo, but it was also kind of hard as well, jumping from site to site. A lot of it was just, again, regurgitated information from one site to another, just kind of copying each other. So while I couldn't find all too much information, this is what I found. I'm going to post some more stuff in the Facebook page and group. I definitely want to post some depictions of the Wendigo so that you guys can see the weird White Walker creepiness for yourself because good mighty, it's fucking weird. Some of the depictions actually make it look like a deer in the head, which totally reminds me of a Santa's reindeer gone through radiation treatment and then it got rabies. I shit you not. Now, again, like I just said, the information that I found on the Wendigo wasn't too much. So because these lore legends are just that, these episodes will probably end up being a little bit more on the shorter side until we get into a little bit more bigger of legends like the Mothman and Bigfoot, Jersey Devil. I know I can find a lot of info on him. Not to take away from the Wendigo. Again, there just wasn't a shit ton of stuff to research on it that I could really find. And it's also been a long time as well since a Wendigo has been reported. Skinwalkers I've seen are actually being sighted or at least heard of a bit more from what I'm gathering from social media and doing research. I saw a lot of stuff about recent skinwalker sightings. So I'm definitely going to look into that as well for you guys. But if you did listen to my Friday the 13th episode... I did this little segment in the end where I read a little blurb from this magazine that I had gotten called The World's Most Famous Haunted Places, Creepy, Ghostly, and Notorious Spots. My husband found this for me when we were in the Walmart checkout line one day. And what I did was I flipped to just a random page and they're like a page little blurb about a location that's creepy, haunted, or somewhat true crime historic, I believe. That's what I'm going to do again. Looking at my time, I see where we are. I have time for probably like two of them. So let's see. Okay, so what I did this last time was I literally put the microphone up to the page as I flipped it and just blindly stopped on one. So that's what we're going to do again. All right, ready? Okay. Ooh. Ooh. City of the Plundered Dead. The Mummy Museum. Rocco, go lay down. My other dog is licking his chops right in front of me, my goodness. Okay. 
So I'm also going to post pictures too from the pages that we read so that you guys can see the creepy pictures that go with it. But here we go. This is again, City of the Plundered Dead, the Mummy Museum. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes, Benjamin Franklin once wrote. And the two were once gruesomely combined in the silver mining town, oh no, big word, of Guana, Guanajuato, Guanajuato, oh my god, pow, I'm killing them tonight, guys. Okay, the two were once gruesomely combined in the silver mining town of Guanajuato, Mexico. Between the 1860s and 1958, relatives were forced to pay a tax to keep their dead loved ones buried in Santa Paula pa Pantheon Cemetery. If they couldn't afford the fee, the bodies were removed from the tombs and stored in an ossuary. I don't know what an ossuary is. Because of the dry, hot climate, ew, I can see where this is going, and the fact that the corpses had been kept in airtight crypts, some of the unearthed souls had become well-preserved mummies. When curious locals began asking to see the bodies, workers started charging for the questionable privilege. And that was the beginning of the Museo de la Mo... Oh, man. Museo de las Momias de Guanajuato. Well, pow! I'm killing them! Which opened its doors in 1969. The museum showcases more than 100 mummies in climate-controlled glass cases, their gruesome grimaces, the result of hardening tongues and slackening jaws. No, they were not buried alive, as some had suggested. There is even a row of babies. Okay. There is even a row of babies called Angelitos and Santitos, dressed as angels and saints, respectively. That is creepy. The museum also contains what is believed to be the smallest mummy in the world, the remains of a 24-week-old fetus. What in the fuck is this place? Oh my god. <laughs> Wherever dead bodies have been disturbed, you can be pretty sure there will be ghost stories, and this place is no exception. People have reported seeing the apparition of a tall lady, bet she's wearing white, as the two girls, one ghost girls would say, and hearing strange whispering sounds and the cries of babies in the building. Oh, hell no. Perhaps trying to justify the display, the museum is careful to say that death is more widely accepted, even celebrated, in Mexico th than in many other places. Fair enough, but it's a bit disconcerting to buy sugar skulls and souvenir effigies of mummies in a place where not so long ago, impoverished people couldn't even pay to keep their loved ones buried. Oh, that's probably the creepiest one that we have read so far. Okay, what's my time? Ooh, I got time for another one. Okay, ready for this ASMR action, guys? Hang on. Ooh, okay. Oh, everybody's gonna know this one. How cool, okay. The Shinings Hotel. The Stanley. I bet you had a couple people go, ooh. <laughs> all right, here we go. It all started with a dream. In September 1974, best-selling novelist Stephen King was on vacation with his wife, Tabitha, at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. Wandering through its corridors, I thought that it seemed the perfect 
maybe the archetypal 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 set yeah okay maybe the archetypal setting for a ghost story that night i dreamed of my three-year-old son running through the corridors looking back over his shoulder eyes wide and screaming he was being chased by a fire hose this was of course the inspiration for king's classic 1977 novel the shining in which the Stanley became the Overlook Hotel of the writer's prodigious imagination. I think I said that word wrong too. Prod, prodigious, prodigious, prodigious imagination. God, these words are killing me in this one. Built in 1909 by the inventor F.O. Stanley, the 140-room hotel has made the National Register of Historic Places, but when King visited, it had seen better days. Before such TV shows as Ghost Hunters made spirit hunting something of a national sport, the Grand Hotel was dogged by the rumor that it was haunted. The fact became, paradoxically, paradoxically, ugh, <laughs> a draw after The Shining put it on the map. Today, the management plays up the hotel's reputation by offering access to the resident psychic day and night tours, and family tours. Unlike Jack Torrance, visitors probably won't find a decomposing lady in room 217's bathtub, but the room is said to be home to the ghost of Elizabeth Wilson, a former maid known to climb into bed between unmarried couples. Oh, promiscuous. Other ghosts included include Paul, the hotel's former maintenance man, who still enforces the hotel's strict 11 p.m. curfew by telling night owls to get out. A humming spirit named Lucy prowls the concert hall, and a wraith called Eddie is known as a Lothario, stroking females' patrons' hair and kissing their cheeks. Oh, Once called the Stinky Man, he has since presumably found a spectral equivalent of soap. Good for you, Stinky Man. You no longer stink. More than King's archetypal, archetypal place for a ghost story, the Stanley is, according to former in-house paranormal investigator Lisa Neihart, a Disneyland for spirits. Ta-da! All right. What's my time looking at? Um, I could read one more. Why not? Let's just read another one. And then I'll close it out for the night. All right. Here we go. Ooh, I'm stopping now. Oh. Wow, we're jumping all over the place. First Mexico, then Colorado, now London. Or England. But the Tower of London. I never knew that was haunted. Okay. The Tower of London in England. There's only you and I here. A disembodied and ungrammatical voice supposedly said to Tower of London night watchman Arthur Crick, who had stopped along his nightly rounds to rest his feet. Just let me get this bloody shoe on, Crick responded, and there'll be only you. Guards aren't the only ones who say they have experienced supernatural phenomena in England's fearsome ancient fortress on the River Thames, started by William the Conqueror in... Whoa! Started by William the Conqueror in 1066, 
The complex of towers, now home to everything from the crown jewels to an axe probably used in the last public beheading on Tower Hill, is widely considered the most haunted building in England. And for good reason. Throughout its notorious history, the site has seen more than its fair share of bloodshed and misery. It's supposedly home to the ghost of Henry, I believe, the sixth, who was probably praying here when he was stabbed to death, allegedly in the presence of Richard Plantagenet. Oh, pow! The go- the I fucked it up. I got too excited. Allegedly in the presence of Richard Plantagenet, the Duke of Gloucester. Wapow! In 1471, the unhappy Henry is now said to haunt the Wakefield Tower where tortures often took place. But the most storied part of the complex is, not surprisingly, the oldest, the White Tower. This is where the ghost known as the White Lady wanders, her perfume often smelled at the entrance of the Chapel of St. John's. A headless ghost said to be that of Anne Boleyn, is sometimes seen near the Queen's house close to where she was executed on Tower Green, and the nine-day Queen, Lady Jane Grey, was reportedly spotted by guards on February 12th of 1957, the 403rd anniversary of her death by execution. But maybe saddest of all are the wraiths of Edward IV's youngest sons, Edward V and Richard. In 1483, they were sent to the tower after being declared illegitimate by their uncle Richard, the Duke of Gloucester, again, who may have also had them murdered. He then became King Richard III. The skeletons of two young boys were discovered beneath a staircase in 1674, but the brother spirits continued to be seen in white nightgowns, clutching each other in terror. Sounds a little bit like the girl version or the boy versions of the shining twins okay and those are our stories for the night all right and that is it i'm going to serenade you now not really i hope you guys enjoyed our first episode on cryptids if you have any future cryptid episode requests serial killers missing persons or ghost topics too you can email me at caseofthecreeps at gmail.com Don't forget to like, join, and follow my Facebook pages by searching for Case of the Creeps and finding my cover art. Join the private Facebook group by searching for Case of the Creeps podcast. Find my password hidden in the rules and join the creepiness there. Again, also be sure to review, subscribe, and share wherever it is that you listen so that we do stay relevant and find more creepy crawlers to join our fun. I was really trying to get on a schedule for posting episodes and I did take a poll and you guys said to stick on a schedule. So no matter what, you will never go more than a week without an episode. But I also get a little trigger happy and want to share all the good stuff with you as soon as I get it done. So I'm going to do my best to get on a schedule for you. But I'm probably, again, going to throw in some mini extra stuff for you guys as well because you've just been so effing fantastic. And I just want to say thank you in all the ways possible. So there we go. Okay. And next week, speaking of weekly episodes, it is time, my creepy crawlers. We're going into our very first serial killer case. And it may even have to be a part one and a part two. You just aren't going to know. And... 
I may or may not have a special guest to go with me as well through this wonderful adventure. But until then, I hope you creeps keep it creepy. I'm Katie. Bye!